Welcome to an all-new episode of Chelsea Miked Up. I'm Mike Ryan Ruiz, and after months of waiting, it is finally a match week. We will celebrate the return of football. We will preview this weekend's match against Aston Villa. We will talk to Allison Bender of the Premier League, a name and face that you probably saw around Chelsea TV. And again, football is back. We get excited about it. Join us. Man, I got styly, man, I got swag. I'll be in a blue shirt chasing a bag, long ball from the back. Chris Whittingham. My neutral observer, you may be neutral about Chelsea, but one thing you're not neutral about is soccer. And it is coming back to our televisions in an unprecedented manner. I am telling you, count your lucky stars that you don't have to worry about how your wife is going to feel about any of this because, (laughs) sir, you are living the dream. I am envious of you. And it's not because you have a bachelor pad on the beach overlooking the ocean, Chris Whittingham. It is because you'll roll out of bed and you'll watch some football. And then after that, you'll watch some more football. Then you'll wash it down with some more football. And then for a nightcap, you'll have some more football and... Oh my God, football is back. Chelsea Football Club are back. We have a competitive top four, maybe top five, fight. We get to play an Aston Villa team that we actually beat. One of the like the crappy counter-attacking teams that we, like during that horrible stretch, we actually got that dub. So I'm feeling kind of good about this. We're smashing QPR. You're going to have to ring me in because Emotional Mike is back. I'm super jazzed up. Who says jazzed up? I mean, I can't curse on this podcast, so I go to jazzed up. Can't think straight. It's a return of soccer, Chris Whittingham. It's a return of my club. Uh, Tell me. Tell me you share my passion, my intensity to see boys in blue amongst other clubs. There will be nine full TV windows before Chelsea play on Sunday. I don't know what I'm going to be like come 11.15 a.m. on Sunday, but that Bournemouth-Crystal Palace game, Saturday 2.45 on NBC Sports Gold, I am firing it up on the Apple TV like it was the last drop of water in a desert. (laughs) I am so here for this. I'm so excited to break down a game. Like I was looking at the table this morning. I was looking at Aston Villa's form. I was looking at, well, who are the players that could influence this? game and it's just all these thoughts are running around my head let's break down some games chris whittingham my wife turned to me and said hey this weekend it's father's day honey it's your first father's day what do you want to do you want to go out on the boat on sunday and i said honey i've got plans which is (laughs) i mean something i haven't been able to say just in general for three months but but (laughs) for football to be the reason why i can't go on Sunday on the boat because my club plays. It's a beautiful thing. I understand this is not the way we'd all prefer it. I mean, I would love to see the away supporters singing Frank Lampard's praises as they go into a hostile atmosphere, but this is better than not having it. Yeah. It's still pizza. I mean, bad pizza (laughs) is still pizza. And if Chelsea play the way they did against QPR, and we will get into this box score and All that meant, which is really nothing except for the fact that Tottenham and Arsenal lost, so then it becomes something. (laughs) I mean, well, actually, let's. I know the responsible thing is to temper expectations and say, look, it's QPR. It's a closed-door friendly. What can you actually take from this? What you can take from it is a brace from Billy Gilmore, and more importantly, a brace from a returning Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Chris Whittingham. I'm excited because of this 7-1 score. Tell me why I should keep this level of intensity all the way through Sunday. Well, what we know 
is that Chelsea are better than a mid-table championship side. That, oh, that's... <laughs> oh, shut it, you neutral. Shut it. Because no. that is not something that you could say for the likes of Arsenal uh, or point. Tottenham that lose behind closed doors to Norwich, even though Norwich is a Premier League club flight. But we have seen Manchester United struggled. Chris Whittingham, Manchester yeah. United struggled. So I am going to be taking my victories where I can get them because it was the literally the first victory I had in three months. Don't you dare try to talk me out of being excited about 7-1. Well, the other thing that we saw in the game, too, was N'Golo Kante played, Christian Pulisic played, but I actually think that the two brace scorers are probably the headline for the most interesting thing coming back from this pandemic, is that Billy Gilmore's emergence at the time was very necessary, right? Because Chelsea's midfield options, remember that last game they played against Everton, Jorginho was suspended, Kovacic was hurt, Loftus-Cheek was still recovering from an injury, and they basically didn't have a whole midfielder they can pluck in and yet you look now if Loftus-Cheek is fully ready to go here they have seven genuine midfield options for three central midfield positions Jorginho, Conte, Kovacic who who were kind of the regulars under Sarri then you have Loftus-Cheek, Gilmore, Ross Barkley and Mason Mount those are all players who would fit into that position. So for me, the headline is Loftus-Cheek and Gilmore, who you probably would have said, you know, start of the season with Loftus-Cheek's injury and Gilmore, we didn't really even know about him start of the season, that they would have been six and seven in that pecking order. And yet they're the ones that score four of the seven goals in this game. How much is Frank Lampard going to give them a chance? We've been preaching caution when it comes to Ruben Loftus-Cheek all season long. When it comes to that injury, we've been one of the more responsible podcasts on the planet. And if you don't need to know how difficult it is to bounce back from that injury, just look at Callum Hudson and Doy. He's had his troubles getting back this season, by the way, picked up another knock. So Callum Hudson and Doy, once again, not exactly someone that you can count on yet. But Ruben Loftus Cheek was this club's second best player. And you can make an argument that he was their best player come season's end last year prior to that injury that he sustained in Boston. If he can be that, if he can be that Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and certainly Ruben Loftus-Cheek back then was bagging in braces, if he could be that player, I think Chelsea absolutely have a top four spot locked up. The thing about Loftus-Cheek and the promise that he's that he offers is that he can do everything, right? He can join in an attacking sense. He's solid defensively. He's a good passer of the ball. Like, he just has everything that you want. He's a complete midfielder, in my opinion. And so if he's fully healthy and fully fit and ready to go, then that's a dynamic that you don't really get. I mean, you get some of that from Kovacic. You get some of that from Mountain. You get some of that from Barkley. But Loftus-Cheek can be all of those things. So to me... If he is, as you said, that guy, then it's a real option. And to me, it's just interesting the choices that Lampard has to make because we didn't necessarily think that Frank Lampard would trust Jorginho as much as he has. That Kovacic, who, I mean, it was such a big deal when he finally scored a goal, but, you know, would he get a regular run in the side? Who is the player that makes weight? Is it N'Golo content? Obviously, you know, fitness and rotation will play a role, but which of those three guys might lose their role to these emerging young players? To call back to previous episodes, we saw individually how players like Pulisic, when he was fully fit and on, how much he was helping Chelsea when N'Golo Conte was out there against the likes of Liverpool, how much he was helping Chelsea. Billy Gilmore, his emergence over the last two matches of the season, you saw how much he helped Chelsea. Olivier Giroud finally coming back into the fold. You saw these incremental steps that led to Chelsea actually kind of turning it on right before play ended. Now we've had this break, and with that goes all the momentum, but everyone is starting at the same base level. However, 
all these players are fit, and Golo Kante is not a small thing because he makes everybody that much better. Chelsea are positioned quite well, and it's not just because they have a three-point lead over Manchester United. The attacking aspect of it is really interesting, too, because now the choices come, is it Giroud or is it Abraham? You'd imagine it will be Abraham again. And then on the wings, has Christian Pulisic done enough in returning to fitness and impressed enough in training to get one of those starting spots back? With the contractual situation of Willian and Pedro, how much are they used? You mentioned the knock that Hudson-Odoi picked up. Those front three positions are also really interesting to me as well because we don't know, because we, we've talked about it all year. Frank Lampard's best 11 or whatever he thought it'd be has probably never been available. So what is the first team that he comes out with? I can't wait for hour before kickoff seeing that team sheet come out from at Chelsea FC on Twitter because it really, to me, is an indication of what Lampard is thinking where his mind is at right now. And do I overreact to the starting 11 knowing that they have a monster fixture with Manchester City in just a couple of days after that? Does he hold some pieces back? Because he wants, we, we've seen Frank Lampard do this from time to time during the season, hold some players back and save them for what he might consider a bigger fixture, even though they're all pretty big right now. Three points is three points, and if you can get the three points against Aston Villa, you go ahead and do that. Because at this point in the season, latter part of the season, I know we're in June, and we're not used to saying this point in the season when we're looking at the calendar, but this is a team in Aston Villa that is fighting to stay in the Premier League. Usually, you don't want to be playing those types of teams on the road at this point. Now, what kind of tweaks have they done? Are you going to be even playing the same Aston Villa? Because I know that Aston Villa is not going to be playing the same exact Chelsea because given the options, this is a totally different Chelsea team that we may be seeing out there. And also, as a Chelsea fan, you know, the back line hasn't been consistent all season long. Kepa's obviously had his struggles, and you point to the save percentage, and that's irrefutable. But for a keeper, there hasn't been a lot of continuity along that back line. Can he have two center backs that he can count on? We thought Christensen was starting to stake his claim into that first team, absolutely write him in every week. And then he sustains an injury. So still, questions along that back line, even though Rudiger is going to be available in ways that he hasn't been for most of the season. You mentioned that Villa aspect of it. This is the worst time to be facing a team that's facing relegation because they really feel the pressure and they've had three months to kind of recalibrate. All right, we've got nine games to finish above Bournemouth, Watford, West Ham, Brighton, who are the teams that are currently above them. They're only two points behind Bournemouth, Watford, and West Ham. And... To me, the interesting aspect of this is the, is the home crowd, right? So one of the things we've seen in Bundesliga, and I haven't really dug into the numbers in other leagues, is that away favorites are actually doing really well, right? So there are two sides to that. So yes, that fact is there, but also... Yes, Aston Villa fans can be ravenous, but they can also probably sink into a shell and start to get nervous. And if you give up a goal in the first 10 minutes, it's here we go again and there's no recovering from it. I wonder if the psychological effects on a team facing relegation might actually end up being a positive because you don't quite feel the sense of that weight, that pressure, right? That all players who are in relegation fights at big clubs talk about. That you go to the grocery store and if you screw up, then that someone's going to pull you up for it and, and, and give you some criticism. That you can feel the nerves in the the stadium. You wonder if it's because it's empty, they don't feel that pressure and they can just feel like they can play their game and maybe it's a bit more expressive and positive and attacking than it would normally be. So the dynamics of a relegation team, I think are one of the interesting aspects of Premier League football returning because there isn't quite that same pressure without the fans there. That's an excellent point because that fan base can absolutely turn on that team and they could just sink into it. One of the other interesting parts is Aston Villa have known this game is coming up for a while now. They've been game planning specifically to Chelsea. And if you've been watching Chelsea all year, you know exactly how to stop them. 
take the same sort of approach that you took at Sanford Bridge when that was a bit of a scary game towards the end. It was in the middle of a, a really difficult stretch for Chelsea where they kept running into these counterattacking teams, these teams that would just park the bus, and Chelsea really struggled to unlock them. If you've paid attention to any football, you got to think that's what Chelsea are going to be running into. Otherwise, I have no idea how Aston Villa has spent the last few months because Chelsea got to prove it to you. It'll be curious to see how Chelsea can respond to that because I think you and I both anticipate that's what Aston Villa is going to do. And the other thing, too, with Villa that I think is worth noting is that they will have played before Chelsea play them on Sunday. They're in the first Premier League match back. We're recording this right before it kicks off, and they're playing uh, Sheffield United. So... Chelsea will have an opportunity to, I don't know if they'll get together on Zoom or just trust that everyone's watching the game, but they will be able to watch this game and figure out, you know, how Aston Villa are going to approach this restart. So they will have played a game, they have a game in hand from having played in the Carabao Cup final. So a little bit more evidence to kind of keep track of and, and how they're going to look. Did we just preview a match, Chris Weddingham? Oh, we just previewed a match. God. We actually get to do a reaction episode this weekend. Oh my God. I want to talk to you a little bit about our next guest coming up, Allison Bender. Maybe not a household name here in the United States, but certainly a part of the Premier League's coverage across the pond. A face that you might have seen on Chelsea TV throughout the years. She's a proper Chelsea fan. She's got so many terrific stories. I can't wait to formally meet her over the Zoom, talk about the return of football, see what it's like for someone in the content business as this is going to be pure insanity for the next month and a half. I think you're really going to enjoy her. We greatly enjoyed our time with her. Allison Bender joining us next year on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Get the latest Chelsea news straight to your phone. Download the Fifth Stand app, the official Chelsea app. All right, this is very exciting for us because it's always good when we talk to a true blue, a true Chelsea fan, although I can't say that too loud because she is presently working for the Premier League, and we'll get into all the complicated things that go into that. But Alison Bender, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Mike. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? We're doing fantastic. Hope all is well throughout this pandemic. And I know that this is uh, we're all in the content business, and things are about to ramp up really aggressively here for us. Specifically, when it comes to the return to football, everyone is sort of relearning how to do their job, picking up new skill sets, learning how to evolve. Being that you're on the content side, what sort of challenges is this going to present now that you have all these games in different windows than they, they would have been? You get to see all of the football as opposed to, you know, we had this window blacked out and we could only watch a handful of games. Now you guys are going to be football intensive pretty much from now until mid-August. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be crazy. And particularly since I've been in like hibernation for the last 11 weeks. So like, it's like, I literally washed my hair for you guys today because <laughs> I haven't been in front of a camera for a really long time. So I'm kind of letting it go a bit. It's incredible. There's been so many crazy challenges. I mean, the weirdest thing at the moment is my email just keeps popping up with Zoom invitations to press conferences from managers. And I'm like, it's just such a weird thing for me because that was such a big event to go to the training grounds and to, you know, to watch. Sometimes you've got to see a bit of training. Sometimes I had an interview with a player um, and, and also the, the manager's press conference. And to think that I'm going to be sitting and watching it on a computer now, it's just so weird and so different. And I wonder how that will change it. Like, will I, will I be a bit more brave with my questions? Will I be a bit more out there? I don't know. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I've had to literally, I've got my diary wide open because it's just going to be football, football, football. And I was doing a little bit of research because obviously I'm doing Premier League. I'm actually doing a little bit of Serie A as well. So like my head is like buzzing with football. I always keep on top of La Liga as well because I work for Real Madrid and I'm you know really into that as well. And I'm just getting so excited. And one of the little tidbits that I found is that I hadn't realized is that the Premier League has been over for exactly 100 days. 
And over the summer period, when normally you have obviously the, the close season, that's actually 90 something days. So this feels like we keep saying kind of the start of the season, but obviously, you know, it's just the resumption, but it feels like the start, doesn't it? It does. And we're sort of reprogramming ourselves as people that are ingesting all this content. How do we experience these football matches? I remember the first Bundesliga match that I saw that didn't have the supplemental sound. I'm like, okay, this is a little weird. And then by the third match, I kind of got used to it. And then I I know over here in the States, La Liga is uh, experimenting with uh, digital crowds that end up looking like melted crayons. So (laughs) how do you think football fans over in the United Kingdom are going to really react to this television experience being that it's going to seem so foreign to them? Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing about football fans is they are they're so smart about their team. They know everything. They know the sound, the individual sounds of every moment of the game. And I found it fascinating. I read an article about the way that they're actually bringing in the sounds. So it's almost like a DJ, basically. So they've got specific sounds for specific things that are happening. So obviously, you know, when a ref's giving a yellow, they'll use the sound that would go with that. And obviously there's going to be difficulties. They're going to get it wrong. And, you know, I, I swear to you, I know, even if they weren't singing the chants, I know the sound of Chelsea fans' voices. And if it's something different, like obviously they take it from, you know, the same, the same fans, the same game, etc. But it's just, it's going to be so weird hearing this kind of fake noise. And I don't want to be too distracted by it. But at the same time, I can't have no sound because that will feel like watching the reserves, like, or an under eights game at Cobham or something like the old days. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's very, very weird, I have to say. And that tradition of going to a game at three o'clock on a Saturday, or obviously Chelsea are big teams, so they're always playing in other TV windows. How different is that going to feel to not go to the stadium ever, that every week, because it doesn't, it, it actually, I've sometimes heard listening to the BBC or whatever, there's like a divide between fans that go to the games and fans that watch on television. Do you think that this change will change football fandom permanently or, or sort of make it different once fans are back in the stadiums? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris, actually. I hadn't even thought about it because it is true. It's like, you know, the people who actually, you know, are the season ticket holders, the fans who are the season ticket holders sort of see themselves as a bit elite somehow. And obviously it's it's so tough to be a fan now. People live all over. A lot of fans are priced out as well. Maybe this is going to make a bit more of an even playing field. I don't know. But personally, the, the whole thing about getting to the game, that that's going to make me sad because it's such a tradition for me. And, you know, I, I still get my phone out when I come out of Fulham Broadway station and I still film the kind of, you know, the guys flipping the burgers and, you know, the stalls selling the shirts and stuff. And I just really get myself into the kind of the the groove like ready for the game basically so it's going to be really really strange um but yeah maybe maybe it will make everything i mean already we've realized just how important the fans are and you know suddenly i think clubs are sort of wakening up to the fact that we are nothing without the fans and i think they're doing a lot of little things to kind of make the fans feel important i heard about various kind of things that they can do within the actual stadium to you know to mark the fans if you like all right, Allison, you mentioned that uh, you're a Chelsea fan and interviewing fans outside of Stamford Bridge. Obviously, with your work in the Premier League, you have to be more of a neutral, even though I'm sure some people already know the book's already out on Allison. How do you balance the two? Have you ever been caught up in an awkward position where your Chelsea fandom maybe leaks out a little bit? Here in the United States, Rebecca Lowe really can't contain herself whenever Palace uh, score a big upset. Yeah, it's really hard. And like over the years, I've become more and more controlled. And sometimes it actually makes me a little bit sad because like if we've scored a crucial winner and I'm kind of sat there 
I almost feel guilty for not celebrating. And I'll almost like, I'll, I'll look over and I'll see Neil Barnett spy like long-term Chelsea stadium announcer, super fan and journalist and presenter. And I almost feel a bit guilty for not celebrating, but we, we just can't basically. And I did get caught out once. It's a bit embarrassing actually, but, um, I made it onto the title sequence of Match of the Day, which is really exciting. You know, I'm a journalist. I'm always in the sort of the, the background somewhere. But the title sequence opened and there I was. It was Chelsea against Manchester United, actually at Old Trafford. And um, it was really embarrassing because basically, as Joe Cole was being substituted, I thought I'd just, just do a little thumbs up, but I thought I'd do it like really low down so that no one would see. But the cameras <laughs> totally caught me doing a thumbs up to Joe Cole. And then also when the goal was scored, you saw me going, yes like that so there and then I kind of thought okay I'm gonna have to learn really but like there are times as well that I've really had to keep it in so like perfect example I always remember is that terrible disastrous day in the Champions League Chelsea against Barcelona and you know it was Henning of Bredo the the referee and Didier Drogba screaming at the camera and I was a reporter that day and I actually had to interview Pep Guardiola afterwards and I had to put my brightest smile on and congratulate him and say Pep congratulations you know you've made it and Inside, I was hurting so much, but obviously, you're a reporter, you have to do those interviews. So, you know, it happens a lot. Were there any other uh, particularly memorable nights at Stanford Bridge? Because uh, we've always talked about your Chelsea TV history. Are there any Champions League nights or big Premier League matches that stick out to you from your, your time as a reporter or post match interviews that particularly stick out to you? Oh, there are so many. I need to actually start writing them all down because they, they all kind of like cloud into one. I think one of the most special moments for me as a Chelsea reporter was actually not at Stamford Bridge, but it was at the uh, Millennium Stadium, Cardiff. And it was one of my first big games. It was Chelsea against Arsenal, which is obviously called like the Snarling Cup final now. And the reason it was so exciting is, you know, it was my first big experience. And at the end of the game, everyone was celebrating. Obviously, John Terry had been knocked out and he swallowed his tongue and everyone was a little bit worried. They didn't know what was going to happen. And um, I got dragged into the dressing room afterwards to kind of join into the celebrations. It was um, Didier Drogba and Claude Makaleli. And Drogba was like spraying me with champagne. And I remember at the time thinking, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I'm going into the dressing room. Like, I'm going to get into trouble. And I looked over and Jose Mourinho was like, you can come in. And then when I got inside, Roman Abramovich was in there and I was like, holy, this is like the big bosses in there. I really shouldn't be in here. And it felt like such a special moment. So like, it was almost like being a player and just watching those celebrations. And actually it's the, the, the first and the last time it's ever happened because at the FA Cup final, I was kind of hoping the same thing might happen again, but the doors were closed and it was like, no one's going in this dressing room, which was sad, but it did feel like such a special moment. And I always remember John Terry walking in like totally punch drunk he could barely see but he'd obviously been given the all clear by the doctors and there was no way he was not going to celebrate with his team and he came in and it was such a moment and like I literally I just think what a lucky person I am that that was my first kind of big game in charge but yeah over the years there have been so many great ones incredible and you've had these amazing personalities in your time and with working with Chelsea really passionate managers managers that approach things differently you mentioned a really good story there with uh, Jose Mourinho what was it like to cover the special one he is just the gift that keeps on giving I mean we loved his press conferences I mean we've seen obviously him in a few different guises haven't we I mean I was really lucky that was there the first time around because he was just he was so charismatic in those days he was brilliant he was so quotable 
when he came back, I actually, it was weird because obviously he went off to Real Madrid and I, I knew Real Madrid really well. I'd actually had a discussion with him just before he'd gone to Real Madrid and I was almost kind of like giving him a bit of advice, I suppose. Like, obviously, it's a bit embarrassing. He knows way more about football and everything than I do, but I knew a lot about Real Madrid. So it was really strange to kind of watch him over there and see him clashing with Ike Casillas and see him clashing with the journalists and seeing him become bitter. And I was like watching him like fade away. And I was thinking, this isn't the Jose Mourinho we all know and love. And then I got an interview when he was at Inter Milan. And again, I kind of thought he was a bit strange. I'd gone out there. And when I went there, actually, he was like, hey, Alison, come here. And like, we had a chat and, and it seemed like you know, it was the good old Jose again. So when he came back to the Premier League to Chelsea the second time around, I thought that I was going to get that same Jose again. And I didn't. And it was, it was a real shame. And I never really quite got to the bottom of quite what had happened. His relationship with everyone soured, you know, that he was calling out the players. He never used to do that. Um, and the journalists, he used to have such a good relationship with us and he didn't. And I remember having a really awkward and sour interview with him when he was Manchester United manager. And it just it just felt like a completely different person. I just wanted to kind of narrow in on that. Like, what are the differences that you're talking about? Like, what, who was the bright Jose Mourinho that you remember at the beginning? I mean, I always remember going on an amazing... Well, I've had a couple of really good trips with him. I went to Ghana for a charity trip with him and Michael Essien. And he was, I mean, he was hilarious. He's, he's just so ballsy, isn't he? And he just says it like it is. Like just a, an example was like, he told us on the plane on the way over, he was like, you're all going to get sick, but I'm not. And I was like, what? And he was like, because I'm going to follow these rules. I'm not going to eat salad. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat that. And, you know, so we all sort of went about our business and did everything just to be polite. We kind of ate what we were given. But Jose was like, no, I'm not eating this. Anyway, lo and behold, we all got this terrible sickness bug and Jose Mourinho was like fit as a fiddle and he was like, told you so. Like he's just that, he, you know, it, it, it borders on arrogance, but it's actually, it's not. I think he, he managed to kind of step on the right side of it. And similarly, I went to um, a preseason tour with Chelsea to um, all over America actually, but primarily LA. And he was just hilarious. Like he'd walk down the plane chatting to everyone. And I always remember there was this, um, this web writer, Andy. He'd just joined the club. He's brand new, straight out of university, so nervous. And he'd fallen asleep on the aeroplane. And Jose kind of looks around and he gives everyone a wink. And he's like, watch this. And he taps this boy on the shoulder and he goes, excuse me? And Andy like jumps up. Uh, Sorry, Mr. Mourinho. And he said, do you think this is a holiday? Do you think you can sleep <laughs> on the plane? And he was like really like laying into Andy and Andy was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. And like scrambling around and everyone started laughing their head off. Cause obviously he was just messing around, <laughs> but like, we just, we never let Andy hear the end of it. Cause we were like, Oh yes, sir. No, sir. Like, you know, <laughs> so he was just, he was just full of fun and laughter and, you know, so quotable. And obviously he had a rough time in football and he changed. Um, no, I mean, he says he's a changed person and he ha- he does seem to be a little different at Tottenham. But we'll see when when the Premier League resumes. <laughs> yeah, maybe that misery doesn't actually have to the the opportunity to decompress after several days off in between fixtures. Now he just might be a complete misery. Allison, um, you mentioned your ties to Real Madrid, so I think you're the perfect person to ask this. 
it's really a beautiful thing to see how Chelsea fans have been supporting Eden Hazard after he leaves a club. It's always difficult to lose your best player, especially in that circumstance, but it probably came to the best possible ending with him lifting a European cup and fulfilling his dream and the two sides understand everything. And then he gets to Real Madrid. It's a struggle. It's a struggle with fitness, perhaps a, a, a tiny bit of a struggle with nutrition at the beginning. Considering how it's gone so far, do you think this might be one of those things that maybe was better in my mind? Maybe I shouldn't have left Chelsea or can he figure it out? We know he has the talent. Yeah, I think he can figure it out. I think it's. I think we all feel desperately sorry for him because I think he was, he's a classy guy. He's always treated me so well. Like whenever I've done a post-match interview with him, particularly actually he gets on so well with, you know, the journalists that he knows really well from his country. And he's just, like you say, with nutrition, like he struggled a little bit with the weight and then obviously with, with fitness and one goes with the other. And I think Chelsea fans, rather than kind of sniggering, kind of like, oh, look at what a tough time he's having. I think actually a few Chelsea fans have been sad for him because I think they were looking forward to seeing how he would fit into a star-studded squad like that at Real Madrid and, you know, how he would continue to shine and like almost kind of be proud of him. Like he was so good for us over the years. We felt like he had to go. And the other brilliant thing, of course, is like we kind of didn't miss him. Like it was the most amazing thing ever. Obviously, we had the transfer ban, you know, Lampard, his hands were tied. He had to bring through young talent. And how phenomenal that we were so busy talking about all these great young players that we almost forgot. Like there were so many times I actually forgot. Oh my gosh, of course we lost Hazard. Like, of course, like, well, it's one of those things that we always thought we were going to be talking about forever. Like the boots that were never filled, right? But it's barely ever mentioned, right? We never mention it, which is, is just phenomenal. So then therefore, how can we be bitter? Um, so I just really hope that he can get back to fitness and sort of be the player that he deserves to be really because he should he should be going you know such big places really I want to dive a little bit more into that because it does in some ways feel like a new era right because of the youth movement and the departure of Hazard it feels like a, be- a before and after pre-transfer ban and post-transfer ban obviously the benchmark for this season is reaching the Champions League but how has this season played out from the mind of a Chelsea fan and has it met expectations? Has it exceeded expectations? Did you have more fun than you think you would have prior to the start of the season? Yeah, I was really, really nervous for Frank Lampard because I desperately wanted him to do well because we all think, you know, he's a legend. He's a wonderful player of the club and you don't want him to mess it up. And to be honest, I, I feared for him. I was like, wow, you haven't had much management experience. I don't blame you for taking this opportunity. You have to take this opportunity. But if you get this wrong, you know, Chelsea fans, we're so unforgiving. I mean, like, look what we did to to Sarri. Like, Rafa Benitez, obviously, there were other issues behind that. But so many managers have come to the club and not gone down well at all. Conte as well. So I just desperately wanted it to go well for Frank. Then, of course, he starts trusting the young players. And there's always a caveat to this. I mean, they are inconsistent. And, and you know, let's not... I mean, it's funny because it started off, didn't it, the season with a, a 4-0 loss to Manchester United. And I thought, oh, no, oh, this is... It's going to be a terrible season, but you know what? It's like he's learning on the job. Let's write off this season. Let's see him blood some youngsters, and then we'll kind of reassess next season. And then suddenly, I mean, every Chelsea fan's been on the same journey, and we've gone, wow, these young players, they're doing really well. They work together. This is really impressive. And and for me particularly, it's been really exciting because these are players that I worked with at the club. I used to go and watch them play reserves football, you know, and you'd be like, oh, he's kind of talented, but has he got enough to kind of go all the way? Well, no, he'll never get a chance. It's Chelsea, there's big name players. And then to actually see these guys, you know, Tamori and Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, like all getting their, their chances. It's just, it's so exciting. So it's, yeah, it's exceeded expectations. I mean, we're fourth in the table, 
I would have liked the season to have been stopped because <laughs> I'm a bit worried. I mean, the thing that worries me now, to be honest, is more the fact that Lampard has so many options, right? His midfield options are insane. How on earth is he going to make those decisions? I mean, I guess one of the good things is five substitutes, you know, and, mm-hmm. and obviously if people are feeling tired, he can change personnel completely in midfield if he wants to. But yeah, there's just, there's too many options. We've got people coming back fit now. Ruben Loftus-Cheek um, looked amazing. So we hear from the reports that I read of this um, demolition of QPR. So I'm, I'm super excited. I don't know about you guys, right? Oh, super excited. I'm curious to see if uh, the Premier League sort of follows what we've seen in uh, the Bundesliga and La Liga. Even though it's a, a much smaller sample in La Liga, the true glamour clubs are, are a little bit deeper and have been better served. And one of the things that we've completely seen dissipate is the thought of home field advantage in these sports because the road favorites are just marching into these stadiums and winning as if it were on a neutral site. And I guess when you don't have fans in there, it makes sense. I actually think a club like Chelsea, because they're a little bit deeper, you mentioned how it's a bit of a catch-22 having all these midfield options, but I think those midfield options might actually benefit a club like Chelsea because they have more options than, you know, the Burnleys of the world. And I think the cream will rise to the top as you congest more and more of these matches together. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it has been weird, hasn't it, watching in the Bundesliga, like all the away wins. Um, and we just have to see what, what happens, basically. But I thought it was really interesting that our first game back, it's, it's got like a little bit of history as well, hasn't it? Because it's John Terry, of course. And then and Villa Park, I mean, there is so much history there. I was just remembering an interview I did. I was really lucky because I did the, fir- the very first interview when Lampard became all-time top scorer for Chelsea. That was at Villa Park. We won the league there as well. So, like, this is this is an exciting start. Um, I do feel for Aston Villa as well. I mean, they were falling apart before the break. And actually, I think they'd lost, like, five games on the trot or something. And I've from what I've heard, people inside the Villa camp are saying that actually the break's done them really good because, you know, the coaches had a chance to like actually like zoom individuals and go through matches and see where they went wrong and really improve themselves. Um, and actually, you know, there are, they do have some, you know, some pretty decent players. You've got like Mings and Jack Grealish, of course. So it could be a tough test. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take this too easily. Um, but it does feel good, the fact that we had this kind of practice game to kind of get us in the gear. Um, and obviously the N'Golo Kante U-turn, um, I don't want to say U-turn, it's a bit unfair. I think, I think he had every right to not want to train completely, and I, I was totally with him the whole way. But it's great that Lampard can count on him now as well. Look at that, some inside info from Alison Bender, putting on the journalism hat and letting us know what's exactly going on with Villa. Now I'm a little bit more worried about this fixture now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether to thank we'll you. We'll be fine, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. We'll be <laughs> All fine. right. Alison Bender, we wish you luck as because this is going to be very difficult from just a content perspective. You're going to be working quite hard, so we wish you the best of luck, and we hope to have you on again. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure because I haven't spoken about Chelsea for a really long time, so you might have noticed I was a little bit overexcited, but I've had <laughs> my Chelsea it. fix. Thank you. We love it. You don't have to be a neutral here. The only neutral here is Chris <laughs> Whittingham, so you can wear that Chelsea hat proudly over here as I am. Thank you so much, Alison. Cheers. All right, that was really cool getting to know Allison Bender. Chris Whittingham, my neutral observer, we usually cover news and notes here unless it's something huge like last week's episode, which we give you a pretty thorough breakdown of the Timo Werner possible. We have to maybe transfer? <laughs> protect yourself. Maybe transfer of Timo Werner. Go back into our archives if you want to hear that. But I buried the lead, my friend. 
I, I opened up Twitter. And Chelsea are getting Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, God. Oh, this is... <laughs> no, I mean, don't I, do this. I feel like an idiot. Don't I host the official this. Chelsea podcast. How do I not lead with the face of a soccer generation, <laughs> arguably? Cristiano Ronaldo is a blue sign sealed delivered. Your reaction, Chris Whittingham, to the signing of Ronaldo. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing? All right, so you, you, you texted me. I think it was like Monday morning or something like that. So... This Cristiano Ronaldo thing seems like nonsense. So I actually went dumpster diving. I went through the internet to try and find, because someone has linked, there's always links, right? So where does it come from? I, I oh, found this. You, you actually went to went through the several Inception dream layers of trying to find yes. patient zero of where this began. I always do this. I like whenever like you send me a rumor, I'm like, all right, I like according to blank, and then there's a hyperlink, and I click the hyperlink, and then in the next hyperlink, it's according to blank. So I went through it, right? So it took me on a journey to. <laughs> took me to Marco, which is a, a Spanish publication. So of, far, so of, good of, of some repute, uh, and it says. Chelsea have been linked with a shock 120 million euro move for Cristiano Ronaldo, according to the global press. Now, oh, all right, there cool. was no- that's good. That's good with me, <laughs> right? Global press, never heard of them, but it's got global in the name. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, the global press is not a publication, huh. and there was no hyperlink on the story. So <laughs> I don't know who is the global press that is making this rumor up, but it seems like nonsense. The global press, is that just like a blanket statement? Like, it is, yeah. Like someone on the planet who is a journalist <laughs> might have said this. But no, it's just Twitter with like a Timo Werner Abbey saying, hey, Jorginho links, Chelsea spending money when no one else is spending yeah. money, Juventus not being able to afford Cristiano Ronaldo possibly. You can see the seeds of how a rumor like this starts, but... Just to be clear, because I know I might have fooled many of you listening to the very start of our third segment here, this seems to be a bunch of hooey. Man, what's going on with me? Why am I saying hooey? Jazz? Jazzed up. I always made fun of the other day because I used bunk in a text. I described something (laughs) as bunk, which is, by the way, what these Cristiano Ronaldo rumors are. They're bunk. That's actually one of the actual hyperlinks associated with one of the stories. Tags, bunk. Bunk Uh, is a, a, a Danish newspaper. Bunk. Yeah. Save this audio for when we inevitably do sign Cristiano Ronaldo. And, and no doubt, Chelsea, you know, are monitoring the messy situation mm. because every summer, everyone is monitoring the messy contract situation. It feels like MLS inner Miami uh, transfer Twitter is finally hand in hand predator memeing with Chelsea Twitter. <laughs> and we are now both in on Cristiano Ronaldo, which is a tremendous upgrade over a couple of years ago when we're linked to Andy Carroll. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. At least these rumors are, are more fun now. This means Chelsea is back. We're we're linked to the <laughs> likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, Chris Whittingham. You don't yeah. understand. I've been. You've seen Shawshank Redemption and yeah. the, and the pipe of sewage. I've been yes. making my way out through the likes of like modern day Emil Heskies to not mention <laughs> names, and I find myself at Cristiano Ronaldo. By the way, I, I, when it comes to like the Messi Ronaldo thing. You always got to pick a side. I'm actually a Ronaldo guy. I really? lean towards, yeah, because I lean towards Real Madrid when it comes to Real Madrid, Barca, and hello, Chelsea fan. Considering our history with Barcelona, that shouldn't be too much of an upset. I think Cristiano Ronaldo is a brilliant player. Have I fantasized about seeing him in a, in a blue Chelsea shirt? Absolutely. Eight years ago on FIFA, I actually made the the record signing for Chelsea. It was <laughs> it was everything that I thought it would be and more. 
given where he is at his stage in his career, given where Chelsea are from like top to bottom on the field, this seems like a total youth movement. This is a club that barely wants to resign players north of a certain age. This would be a so out of nowhere, nonsensical signing from just an age standpoint. Now, when you get a talent like Cristiano Ronaldo, are we really going to... I'm not going to entertain this. This is not, <laughs> it's not happening. Let's get into actual, more concrete transfer news. Obviously, time of recording, the Timo Werner rumored signing has not been made official yet. We covered in the last episode why that might be the case, why you might not actually see a formal thing. And we also argued on the merit, well, isn't there a June 15th date? Maybe, surely, they'll release this here. As of right now... We haven't seen the Twitter announcement that makes everybody go mad on social media. What could possibly be the delay outside of obviously maybe not signing him? That's a, that's a possibility, I <laughs> yeah. guess. Yeah, I mean, there's been no indication that it's not going to happen. So my guess is it'll happen at some point. To me, there are two main reasons why. One was reported uh, by the Athletics' Raphael Honigstein, who was saying that because of the travel restrictions right now in Europe, Timo Werner has not been able to get on a plane and go to England. And so he hasn't been able to go have his medical and actually fill out the paperwork. But you'd imagine that some deposit has been made on Timo Werner's release clause that would allow this transfer to happen. Because as you said, there was a June 15th deadline. You'd imagine there's an agreement to work that out. The other thing that would just make sense to me just on a very natural level, Leipzig are still in the middle of a league season and it ends in like two weeks. So why, I mean, this has already probably been a difficulty for them in their dressing room and, and all of the issues that you have with a transfer saga. So why not just wait until after the season, then you announce it and in two weeks time, he'll be a Chelsea player. And they haven't fully locked in a Champions League spot, which is massive for that club. Let's talk about Champions League right now, because there have been some new developments on the Champions League front. I know we're all super excited about the return of the Premier League. We've seen the fixture list. We have the graphics saved on our favorites in our album, and we know exactly how much or how little we're going to be talking to our family members, right? But Champions <laughs> League, Chelsea are still in, in this competition, playing Bayern Munich, obviously have a goal difference to make up. This would presumably be a road fixture. Remember, now this is all sorts of complicated because that would entail Chelsea hopping on a plane and flying to another country during a global pandemic. What have we learned in the recent days about the return of the Champions League? Yeah, we know that the Premier League is going to end by the end of July, and you would think that then their offseason would start. It's already going to be an abbreviated offseason for the start of next year, but Chelsea, as you said, still do have that second leg to play against Bayern Munich. They lost 3-0 at home in the Champions League at Stamford Bridge, and we know now that basically it's all been it's all but ratified that the quarterfinals on will all be played at a neutral site. They're going to Lisbon and they're going to play the quarterfinals all the way through to the final, basically in less than two weeks, from August the 11th to August 23rd. It's going to be a short mini tournament of the Champions League. For the teams that are in it, I'm sure it'll be really fun, but we don't know yet. There's still four round of 16 games left to be played, of which Chelsea obviously has one of them against Bayern Munich, that second leg. And UEFA has been really struggling with how do we figure out how to play these second legs if neutral venues are not an option? Do you have four teams traveling to another area? We've also we've already mentioned that the French League has been canceled all the way through August. Lyon still have to play a second leg against Juventus. And if they're not allowed to play in France, where is that game going to be? So they have all these, le all these details left to figure it out. My guess would be is that it'll just be a second leg in the home stadium of the team that was meant to host it, but we don't know. So 
it's up in the air and Chelsea obviously still have the ability to overturn that and maybe miraculously end up in that uh, single elimination tournament in Lisbon. But for now, we don't know where that game is going to be played. Most expect Chelsea to not make it out of uh, the round of 16 uh, and see the rest of this competition through. However, it is a different Chelsea side. You've been actually the person to talk some sense into me. I'm like, why are we playing this? It's got to be a rotational squad. But there's going to be some separation, as we can assume, because that second leg hasn't been rescheduled yet. You have Ruby Loftus-Cheek. You have N'Golo Kante. You have Christian Pulisic available. Like, why not? Let's play this. Let's see what, what can happen. It's not No matter what, you're not going into this atmosphere that's going to be raucous. Like, if it were a packed house in Munich, I'd understand, yeah, three goals. That's difficult to get, but... This is essentially a neutral site, even though it's in a, in their stadium. Let's go for it. And one of the things I just mentioned with the Werner thing is that the Bundesliga is over in two weeks. Bayern is going to have about four or five weeks off before they play this second leg, and they'll have to you know be in a preseason and go again. They won't have games to play. I mean, maybe they'll organize some friendlies with other Bundesliga teams, but you'd imagine after they just played a very tight fixture list that they would want to kind of you know get some rest here and make sure that they're preserving themselves with injuries. So they're going to have some rust heading into that second leg too. So I mean, we've seen crazy Champions League results on the back of, you know, Real Madrid winning 3-0 at Juventus and then going down 3-0 at the Bernabeu to Juventus before needing a last-second penalty in order to continue one of their big Champions League runs. Like, big results away from home have happened all the time. It is hugely unlikely, and Bayern have been amazing since the Bundesliga have come back. But at the same time, I think that they're going to have a, a long rest off, and it's a one-off. Anything can happen in a one-off with a team as good as Chelsea. We're not physios. I have no idea how their bodies are going to respond to being off for so long. Granted, they're doing their individual training. Then resuming play, it feels like an offseason. You have players that haven't had a proper offseason. It's going to feel a bit like one. Do they calm down? Do they maintain their training for throughout the month? How does a body actually react to stopping, starting, stopping, restarting again? Chelsea actually have a bit of an advantage when you look at it that way. All right, Chris Whittingham, we're nearing the end of this week's pod. We're super excited about Aston Villa. Obviously, we have a big match against uh, Manchester City that we will discuss in a future episode, but it's prediction time. I think Chelsea are going to win this match, obviously. I'm the crazy, wild, emotional homer <laughs> that's taking a 7-1 victory. I'm a little upset that wasn't a clean sheet, by the way. Keppa, come on, let's step up. <laughs> uh, quite honestly, we're, I'm a little bothered by that. But I'm reading way too much into this. I know that um, there are going to be no fans in the sand. So, and Chelsea have been playing good football away from Sanford Bridge really all season long. I expect Chelsea to win this match. I expect Ruben Loftus-Cheek to play, which is super exciting. I think Chelsea win this match 3-1. That's the prediction for me. I like it. I'm interested what the neutral observer thinks, Chris Whittingham. Yeah, so there's two there's two data points that for me are noteworthy heading into this match. So one is we referenced earlier the Bundesliga home versus away form. In particular, away favorites have done really well, meaning the team higher up in the table who's got the betting odds in their favor. So I think Chelsea are going to get a win here. And the other thing too that I read this cool story from the BBC that was like, here's the season encapsulated from before the break. Chelsea were better away on a points per game basis than they were at home. 1.71 points per game compared to 1.6 at the bridge. Now, they didn't win any of their four away games in 2020, but I just think that this situation favors Chelsea. So I'll, I'll go for, 
a 2-0 victory away from home for Chelsea. I kept a clean sheet, and I'm most interested, you know, from a playing standpoint, does Christian Pulisic get a start? Because he's recovering from fitness, he's healthy, he's kind of on a level fitness playing field. Does Frank Lampard want to pick him ahead of Mount, Willian, Pedro? Uh, you mentioned Hudson Adoy's Knox, maybe he won't be available from the start, but does he get that start down that left-hand side and have the opportunity to claim that position, which it seemed like he had a stranglehold on before he got hurt. Yeah, and even if he gets a stranglehold on that position, how long is his stranglehold considering the rumored and confirmed signings? Remember Ziyech, uh yeah. coming into the club. It'll be interesting to see. We spoke to Christian Pulisic. He told us he was game for the challenge. He knew exactly what he was signing up for when he signed for Chelsea. They were always going to be linked to some of the best players in the world at his position. That is the reality of the situation. We have a lot of interesting position battles being played with not only people that are on this roster right now, but people that are rumored and almost certain to be coming in. It'll be very interesting to see how some of the Youth Academy products that had success earlier in the season respond to this. Sammy Abraham, a well-publicized contract negotiation that hasn't been finalized with the club. All of a sudden, Timo Werner enters the picture. How is Tammy Abraham going to respond? I'm fascinated. The storylines are coming fast and furious. We have a return to football. The very next episode, we're going to talk about this game with Aston Villa. I'm very excited about it. Happy football, everybody. We will talk to you next week. I'm so excited. You heard the official prediction here from Chelsea Mike Dub. Chelsea by two. We're in agreement there. <laughs> Chelsea by two. Let's get this dub and then let's get another one and then another one and then Cristiano Ronaldo will hold up the Chelsea jersey and we will all <laughs> celebrate him at his presentation which will be done on Zoom oddly enough. <laughs> Till then up the Chelsea.